you know, I'm sitting here and, um, you know, one of the things that goes along with what me and Anna do is that oftentimes you, you get heavy hearted because you feel for a person, um, that you see is about to throw away once again, all that they work for. I mean, make about $20 an hour. Um, we became not only A, any job for them, but they worked so hard that we created a B, better job for them and was looking forward to C, career job. And, you know, to see them, you know, um, starting to go um, off path, you know, a path they were blazing, not following, but blazing because... They're talented, they're smart, man, they got charisma, they work hard. But, you know, one of the, one of the signs was um, the company that they began to keep. And, you know, things just began to um, downhill slide, you know what I mean? And it, it's, it's heartbreaking in the sense of, you know, it, 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 it it's a victory at that time for addiction, um, but it's not a loss in no way for God. Um, I, I see how easy it is for someone to go back. Uh, for some, not any, not for all. It wouldn't. It's not easy for everybody to go back to that life. There are some who have died to that life and truly are new creations in their new life. And I'm one of them. I'm living proof. And it's not about me being cocky in myself, but it is about me being confident in my faith. And I'm confident that what I read and what I believe that I don't have to ever have that as an option. It's not an option for me to return to that life. And we try, we give everything we got to live by example and instill in those that work for us by being living proof around them daily and encouraging them through others, if we're not there, that they can do the same thing, that they too can break the cycle of addiction, that they can free themselves and live their life free from addiction, that they don't have to ever give in to that demonic force mentality disease ever again that they can stay with their children man and stay contributors in this community and don't have to return to homelessness joblessness friendless and re-trigger and resurrect hopelessness feelings because they were addiction and when you when people relapse it reignite all those negative emotions all that what you have deleted and all this you go into your trash bin you didn't empty that trash bin you go right back into that trash bin in your hard drive and pull all that trash right back out and there you go again man and that's the cycle that's the cycle for a lot of people getting out of jails and prisons man they'll get to going good man and and fear not that they don't got it to change their circumstances. It's that their circumstances are changing and they become afraid. They, they become afraid and instead of riding out that storm, knowing that this new way of life will settle, that they will become adapted to this new life. You know, it's like T.D. Jake said, with new levels, new devils. And instead of waiting and letting this new life settle and getting counsel and support in this new life, they, they choose to go back to using and throw it all away.
you know, growing up for me as a kid was, I mean, I got, I got a lot of suppressed memories because, you know, to survive what I went through from the age of 13 up into the age of 45, I just blocked out a lot of things previously to my lifestyle of addiction and incarceration. Um, but I grew up, I was, I was born in Alabama, uh, March 25th, 1971. And on Halloween night, um, I say 1978, but I'm I'm told by others 1977, we moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana. My grandfather's job um, moved up, up this way. Um, we were, um, he was working for North American Van Lines at the time, I believe, a open road truck driver cross country. And I remember we moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, we were upset because it was Halloween when we left Alabama and we didn't get the trick-or-treat. But when we got to Fort Wayne, um, 14, 15 hours later, however long it took us, um, we went to Big Mama house, my grandma, uh, grandfather's mom, Belle Myatt. Uh, we went to her house, Big Mama, and we stayed there um, overnight. And then we moved into the home my grandfather had for us um, the next day. But she had some trick-or-treat bags waiting on us, and I remember how excited we was. You know, there was big paper bags full of candy. You know, my grandparents had made um, provisions for us on Halloween. We got there in the wee hours um, that night, but we got our trick-or-treat bag, and um, it was fun. But we um, got settled into Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, I remember our first home on Home Avenue. Um, we lived um, right behind the school we went to. We used to actually wait until the school bell to run across the street, cut through the fence and go to the school. Um, I can't even remember the name of the elementary school, but it was right behind Lutheran Hospital. Um, me and my Uncle Martin, um, who's two years older than me, and then my Uncle Tracy, um, who is two years younger than me. Um, but we all went to the same school. And, you know, we stayed there for a little while. Um, then I remember we moved to um, Pontiac Street. Pontiac Street, we didn't stay there long. But growing up in Fort Wayne, Pontiac Street was, you know, every neighborhood, any hood, you know, low income hood has one street that's really a street you don't want to go on. And at that time, I believe when I was growing up, it was Pontiac Street had a bad reputation, you know, very bad, especially in the Pontiac Mall area right there off um, Oliver. You know, you, you didn't want to stop on Pontiac and Oliver. You, you wanted to keep going. Um, but we we survived, man. And then we moved again to um, Winter Street, 3310 Winter Street. We stayed there for a little while. I remember that house was bad because the ba every time it rained or anything, the basement was all clammy and it wasn't a livable, livable basement. It was like a storage, man, um, brick walls, but it would flood bad in that house. I mean, a foot of water would be in the basement for the longest. But that was also the place where we, me and my uncle um, Tracy got our first dogs, um, our German Shepherds. And I remember my grandfather gave us those. And um, I remember King. I can't remember the name of other German show. I think Rocky. King and Rocky. But our dogs, that was short-lived. Um, to this day, we don't honestly know what happened to the dogs. They were beautiful puppies. We believe they were stolen out of the backyard. 
um, never seen again. Uh, that I remember that, but we never experienced that getting another dog thing. Um, and around this time, I am still nine, ten years old. I believe we'd have moved. This is our third time moving since we've been in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, I know I was still young because I was going to Weiser Park Elementary School um, from our home on Winter Street. I actually walked to school a few blocks um, to school to Weiser Park. And it was there at first that I remember I got um, I was in class and that's when I started experiencing free breakfast in the morning. Didn't understand it was giving free breakfast um, to those who couldn't afford um, breakfast. We was labeled to eat at school. Um, don't get me wrong, man. My grandparents loved us so much. It was a house that was never lacking love. Um, but we we were poor. I mean, we didn't go without, but we didn't have top shelf hindsight. But we always ate. We had clothes. And my grandfather worked hard. My grandmother worked hard. It was a lot of us, man. I mean, there are 10 kids and then uh, so many grandkids. And I'm the first of several dozens of grandkids. But they raised a third of their grandkids, if not more, um, their children. Um, but, yeah, when we was in our third house on Winter Street, I was still in elementary school. And we started off at Pontiac, I mean, Home Avenue, then Pontiac, then Winter Street. And then I remember we moved to um, Yorkshire Drive, 5417 Yorkshire Drive, Fort Wayne, Indiana. It was, man, we moved in this house. I thought we was rich. It had a basement. It was five bedrooms. Um, we was able to roller skate in the basement. We wrestled. We had fun. It didn't flood. It was in a nice community. Um, I went to Village Woods Elementary, then the Village Woods Middle School. And it was here at Village Woods Middle School. Um, it's where I began to make bad decisions, not because of the school. Um, the principal at that school, uh, if I remember Mr. Blake, uh, they they did everything they can when they began to see me act out, man. They just started trying to help me. And I don't even know if my family remembers, but when it was time for me to move on from eighth grade to the ninth grade, because I had so many missed days and was acting out, um, that's when I had started using, man, in the eighth grade. And I remember that I got held back. I didn't get to graduate um, Village Woods uh, Middle School and move on to Harding High School with my peer, with my classmates. And I had an opportunity to go to summer school that year to make up the credit that I needed the classes. And I didn't even go to that, man, because I started going to boys school. I just I just fell off. Um, you know, I was embarrassed that I was being held back in the eighth grade. And it wasn't because I was slow. It's because I just wouldn't do no work, man. I was acting out. I was rebellious, intelligent student. I just started acting out when I started to use and hang around people that they didn't care now about me. And I didn't care about them. What we cared about was the feelings we were creating in our life from the bad decisions we were making, man. We were teenagers. Um, I was dumb for the fact that I wasn't listening to adults Um Good people put in my life to help me instead of listening to them. I thought I knew better and I made decisions and choices that cost me many years of, of pain and misery, not only for me, but to my community and to my family and to my friends. But I got held back in the eighth grade 
Um, I didn't go to the ninth grade and I was so embarrassed and, and, and felt I just couldn't face the people that I knew then anymore, man. So I just really took full fledged to the streets and started just running. And I ran into crack cocaine as my relief and my escape for the life that I was beginning to create for myself. And I remember when I first got arrested for the first time and I experienced juvenile, I was in the den um, off of my mother's garage, my, uh, my driveway. Um, she had a greenhouse, her and my stepfather. Um, she was married and they had a greenhouse on, I believe, Whirling Avenue, right on the backside of Village Woods Elementary School, because the middle school and elementary school was right by each other. My grandparents stayed on one side, um, about six blocks away from Village Woods Middle School on the uh, backside. And my mom stayed across the street on the backside of the elementary school. But I was at my mom's house and the detectives came and knocked on the door. I saw them. I opened the door and they arrested me. They arrested me as a juvenile right there standing in the doorway um, for car theft. I had went joyriding in a stolen car with someone and I knew it was a stolen car. But I went joyriding and they got arrested. I got arrested. And that's when the incarceration wheel began and it was full throttle after that, you know, for the rest of my teenage life, through my 20s, through my 30s and half of my 40s, I was incarcerated, you know, 80 percent of my 20s, 80, 90 percent of my 30s and 50 percent of my 40s was incarcerated, you know, in the rest of my teens, um, two or three stints in juvenile detention centers, six months here, eight months there. Um, it was in a juvenile facility that I earned my GED. Uh, Indiana Boys School. Um, it was Rockville, Indiana. Um, it was a men's um, um, nonviolent offender camp. And the other half of it was juveniles. We didn't interact with the adults, but we saw them out across the prison yard. But it's now a women's prison. And I say that because, you know, uh, about two years ago, it's funny because Rockville was the first juvenile actual prison I went to. I went to juvenile detention centers, but to be sent off, like when sent away from home instead of being local locked up in a juvenile facility down on, I believe, still Wales Street. Um, it was when I was growing up in Fort Wayne. Um, they sent me away. It's like you being sentenced and the judge sends you to the um, juvenile prison. So I was sent away and went to Rockville, Indiana. And about two years ago, this was in 87 when I went to Rockville, uh, 1987. I got my GED and everything down there. In fact, that's why my DOC number begins with 87. Um, it marked a year in which I entered the prison slash adult slash you welcome to the criminal big league system, pretty much. And I was in Rockville. And about two years ago, what I was trying to say, I'm sorry, is that Two years ago, I was went back to Rockville as a visitor. And what's weird is that was the first prison I stepped back into as a free man, no probation, no parole. But it also was the first prison that I stepped my foot into when I was 15, 16 years old. It's like God brought me full circle. I started doing my time there. And that is where God started and allowed me to do 
his begin his ministry there. Um, I went back there as part of a work one program to talk to um, the people that were incarcerated about jobs and 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 just to encourage them, man, that they can do this, that they can make their mind up. And that because that's what it comes down to. People incarcerated has to reach a point to where they make up their mind and begin to believe in themselves enough that they commit to change. They can't expect parole. They can't expect probation, their family, not even God. God is not going to do it for you. God will give you an opportunity to do it for yourself. And as a loving parent, he will nudge you. He will help you and he will give you that inner voice for you to pick yourself up. And you will hear me constantly, constantly, constantly refer to the prodigal son, you know, the boy of the Jewish descent who lost everything. And in that story, I'm the prodigal son and the father is God. And as the prodigal son, I ask my father to let me go. Don't force me to live here in your home under your rules. Let me live my way. In other words, God, I don't want to live by your word. I want to do what I want to do. Let me live my way. And as the loving father, God, you know, respected my free will. He let me go make my choices as the prodigal son. Father, let him go make his choices in the Bible. And nowhere in the book does it say as the prodigal son's father went looking for him. But he did wait on the porch with expectation of him returning because he knew that apart from him, that the world would beat him down. The world would destroy him. And the father believed that once it did, his his son would return unto him. And that's what it did. And this boy in the story, you know, he had to get I'm not a Bible scholar, but I, I can understand when God gives me understanding. And if I understand right, Jewish people didn't have anything to do with pork, swine, pigs, filth. But to show that this boy reached his pit, you know, for me. You know, it spoke to me is that he was feeding what he was against his custom, which is swine. Not only did they not have nothing to do with the swine, he was in the pig pit with the swine about to eat what the swine was eating. That's how low he had got. He found himself amongst creatures, nature, things that wasn't of him. It wasn't of his belief. It wasn't up. It wasn't a reflection of his upbringing. And it was in this filth, this dirt, this low of the low that the Bible said he came to himself. He woke up. He mentally, spiritually woke up in his worst moment. And he came to himself. He had an aha moment and he pulled himself. I love how it said parole didn't throw him no rope. Probation didn't go down there and get him. He didn't manipulate his mother, his father. Nobody didn't go down in the pit to get him out to where he kept them in the pit. But the Bible said he came to himself he made up his mind. And when I went back into that Rockville prison, you know, and had the opportunity to speak to the, to, to the to the women that was incarcerated, you know, I encouraged them in that short time I had to make up their mind man, to become committed to themselves, to love themselves. Only they can break the cycle of addiction. Parole can stall it. Parole probation can make it look like it's gone. Reentry court, drug court, even church, even religion, uh, your mother's prayers, your grandmother's prayers. But the change, all of that can encourage you to put on a facade, a, a behavior modification. But the true change comes from a changed mind. You must 
no longer do the things you've done. You got to be renewed in your mind. It's not you just can't say, oh, man, I'm done doing drugs, but don't renew your mind. You got to be saying, man, I'm done doing drugs. I'm done stealing. I'm done robbing. I'm done lying. I'm done manipulating. I'm done being lazy. But you have to renew your mind as you're getting rid of one old habit one bad thought replace it with two three new ones because that bad thought is strong man it's a it's a stronghold it's a weed that does not want to be rooted uprooted but you have to fight through it you have to continue to press through it and growing up in fort wayne indiana man in in the decisions that i began to make you know and, and i didn't know at the time when i was that young you know that 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 first arrest from my mom's couch was going to lead to 28 years of my life over the next 30 years to be incarcerated. But it was during that journey, that long stretch of in and out, in and out, growing up in the system, that even though I was making bad decisions, God being God was using it to mold me. But even then, prison wasn't my destiny. Using drugs wasn't my destiny. Me changing my mind and begin to be discipline and living a dedicated life, a committed life to, to, to my purpose. And that is to be used to serve other people. You know, my, one of my reasons is to take advantage of the opportunities that is given unto me and the things that God has allowed me to survive, the things that God has brought me through, the things that God has led me through and the things that God has been silent as I push my way through because he just allowed me to do the next right thing, even though he may have been silent. But my juvenile years were rough. I was a kid. I was a kid addicted to crack cocaine when it first became a pandemic in my city, Fort Wayne, Indiana. I got consumed by it. And all through the rest of the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s, man, I was I was just an, a victim of myself. And because I was a victim, I was trying to victimize my family. I was lying and stealing. I was robbing. You know, I mean, they, I was taking money out of wallets. I was taking money out of purses. I was telling them I had, um, threats from drug dealers, um, using the fear and their love for me to, for them to get me money. I was, I was knocking down their doors while they were in their house sleep. I was snatching grab, man. Anything that I can get. Something they they probably paid five hundred dollars for, man. I was selling it for twenty dollars, fifty dollars. I just I just wanted to get high. That's it. But you know that life that life was a life of choices. It may seem like I was under control of addiction, but I was under the control that I gave to addiction. And I am a witness that I'm living proof. Take back that control. Every person that's calling themselves an addict. Who, who used to live in addiction, who's in prison, you can break that cycle. I did it. And I started young, man. I'm 50 years old today, but I'm free. I came home. I'm staying home. I'm married. I have children. We own a business. We own our home. We own our land. And God is, God is, God is rewarding my choices. It's not, these are the fruits of my choices. You want to change the fruit? You got to change the root. You want to change your lifestyle. You got to change the way you live in, man, the choices that you make it. You can't expect to stay home when you're selling drugs. You can't expect to stay home when you manipulating and getting over on people. You're going to reap what you sow. That's scripture. Be not deceived. Don't be no fool. You're going to reap what you sow. And I love the fact that God allowed me to 
make it through the things that I made it through. And I tell men and women today, don't expect God to do your part. You got to do yours. God will create an opportunity. God will give you a moment in which you got clarity, in which you can make a decision. If you in jail right now, prison right now, maybe even a drug house or even looking to go score drugs, but you can't. And as you're looking for these drugs, the buzz that you got now is coming down. And during that moment, God speaks to you. You know, you've heard that voice. You've heard that voice telling you, don't go get that dope. Stop. And though some of us, Many people have ignored that voice and they never got another chance. They OD'd. And my heart goes out to the families and the friends and the communities that are affected by that choice. Many of us ignored that voice and we get arrested and end up going to prison for years because that one time that voice said, don't go get that dope. You went and got that dope. And while you was at that dope house, it got raided by police. Somebody got murdered or whatever it may be. But you were there. And as a result, you got 10 years in prison. You got 20 years in prison. But at that moment, when you were told, don't get that dope, you overrode that voice. You gave in to addiction, thus keeping yourself a prisoner to addiction. Going back to our younger years, man, you know, like when I when I was saying earlier, um, we people, they say as a scientific fact that your mind stopped developing when you start using drugs. And my mind was I mean, as a 13, 14 year old, and sometimes it explains how I process things. There are sometimes I'm very emotional about things and some things I can be over emotional about and some things I can be not emotional enough. You know how a kid just blows something off. But at times there are certain ways that I process things that I realize that, you know what, man, I'm not ready for that yet. And that's why I keep people in my life to hold me accountable, people that talk to me, people that listen to me. And one of the mentors that I, I miss and love so much was, was Tony Riley. And one thing he told me that I would never forget, and that is, AJ, the more you open up for help and trying to help other people, the more you make yourself vulnerable because you have to let your guard down in order to get some healing. You got to let some people in. But you also have to let yourself out. And I want to encourage men and women that are incarcerated, man. You can break this cycle, man. Get off them excuses. I got to call it for what it is because I was that addict. I was that person that was trapped in prison and jail, never completed parole or probation. But I'm also that person that broke them cycles with the help and the guidance of God. God's word gave me a new life. I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it. It wasn't AA. It wasn't NA. It wasn't no sponsor. It wasn't parole. It wasn't reentry court. It wasn't drug court. It wasn't none of that. All those things gave me opportunity for me to do better for myself. But it was in me doing better for myself that God blessed me. God blessed me from doing better for myself. Kind of like, for example, you go to work, you get a check. But if you don't go to work, don't expect a check. And some of your money comes later, like a tax return. And some of the things, the, the rewards and the fruits, you know, from my heavenly father, they will come later. They will come when I leave this world. You know, they're being stored for me in another place. But for right now, you know, to be with my family, to to not worry about the police arresting me and, and, and taking me away and, and, and being broke and not paying my bills. Man, those are reflections of choices. I'm able to pay bills today because I make different choices. I don't love addiction. I hate addiction. So I never call myself an addict. I hate addiction, man. I hate it. And I'm not going to apologize for that passion I have toward addiction. I hate it. It's a it's a passion that makes me fight against it, against what it does to the mentality in the lives of other people. 
you can break that cycle right now. If you're in jail and prison, man, don't don't identify with what you hate. Don't do it. Don't do it. But you can change your life. I did. And I'm continuing to change my life. It's an ongoing process. But it's something I must do constantly, constantly renewing my mind, constantly putting things in my heart and in my spirit that causes me to make better decisions, positive things that become strongholds in my life, not negative things. I'm tired of negative things being the processor in my mind. I had to renew my mind, but it comes from making a decision. Make up your mind and stick to it. I'm telling you, you can change your life because I changed mine. And not only am I changing mine. I'm being used to give other people opportunities that can that can change their own and to be able to help other people after hurting so many people. I can't explain the healing that comes with that. It's, it's a beautiful thing.